The XY Advisor podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. This content is created in partnership with our sponsor, Hub24 Custodial Services, ABN 94073-633-664, AFSL 239-122, part of the Hub24 Group, and is limited to publicly available information. General advice may be provided by our sponsor, but does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Before acting on any general advice, you should consider whether appropriate and obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. XY Advisor does not hold an AFS license and does not provide any financial advice or services or endorse any general advice. If a PDS or IM exists, you should obtain a copy and review it thoroughly before making a decision. Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by Hub24, one of Australia's leading providers of integrated platform, technology, and data solutions to the wealth industry. By working with licensees and advisors, Hub24 is delivering innovative solutions and service excellence that enables you to do business your way, creating efficiencies for your business and value for your clients. These are just some of the reasons why advisors have rated Hub24 number one for value for money and best managed portfolio functionality six years running, empowering better financial futures together. Find out more at hub24.com.au. Hello and welcome to this series on enhancing the client experience. My name is Fraser Jack and in this series we head to our Coach's Corner, uh, interviewing some of the industry legends who are helping advice firms work on client experience. From mindset through to practical tips to technology, Uh, what you can do now, and also what the future holds. First up, in this episode number one of five, we hear from someone who needs little introduction. Stuart Bell is a business coach, entrepreneur, author, podcaster, technology guru, and client experience advocate. In the next four episodes, we will bring you Kim Payne, Michael Back, Suze Chadwick, and Greg Hansen from Hub24. So strap yourselves in for this series on all things client experience from growing your business to technology concepts uh, from the past all the way through into the future. So let's kick off with our chat with Stuart Bell. Thank you for joining me, Stuart Bell. Fraser, absolute pleasure. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Thank you for coming along and joining us on the series where we really are getting stuck into the concept of the client experience, why it's so important, what can people do, uh, all this, all the sort of stuff that you work with every day. So thank you so much for um, coming along and sharing these gems with us. Um, let's, let's dive back in time for those people that don't know you or haven't, um, haven't met you. There might be one or two. Let's face it. And not, not very many because you've been around for a bit. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into this space. Okay, so I won't go back too far, but um, kind of in the industry, my journey kind of starts in about 2000. Uh, I I had been in the UK for a while, come back from Japan, and I, I started to get into the consulting area in about 2002. Uh, back then, I was with MLC, which anybody who was you know familiar with MLC will know there was a massive grounding in practice management, and as a result, it was very very popular. Um, I then went on to AMP, uh, had a really good experience there as well. 
And I think it was about 2008, I, I was walking through an airport on my way down to Melbourne and I spotted a book in the bookshop. It had a, a guy holding a balloon and it had the title, The, the Four-Hour Workweek. And I kind of read it and it kind of lodged in my brain and there was a lot of stuff in there that really stuck. And I, I think that was the moment that I realized I'd, I'd become kind of disillusioned with what I was doing. And I ended up taking a year off with, with Rachel, my wife. And we, we traveled all over the world. We spent time in the US. We were in Central America, South America, Europe, India, uh, Southeast Asia. And it was while I was away, I realized that I hadn't fallen out of love with the coaching or the consulting. It was the corporate side of things. So I came back and decided to start up uh, as an independent coach. And there weren't that many people doing it at the time. And there was Jim, who'd been doing it for ages. There was Encore, who I'd worked with. There was a few others in, in the marketplace. And... Um, it, it was, it was, you know, to start with, it was really enjoyable, but it was probably about three years in. It's about 2013, about three or four years in. I started to realize that the way that I was coaching and the way that I was consulting, you know, I was spending a lot of time on planes, traveling around in these really long-ended meetings every month that just, it was a lot of talking about what we were going to do and there was less on the practical side of things. And for me, I just, I found that, the, the model wasn't working and there was kind of a lot of parallels with, with the way my clients were working. And I, I've been a geek from, from way back. I, I've been breaking 286s since I was like 12 years old. 286s for those who aren't complete geeks are really, really old desktop PCs that literally you, you used to run them with DOS commands. And so I've always been interested in tech and I had a mate of mine, Dean, who'd got involved in the tech startup space. He'd, he'd started 10 years ago when we, as his mates, we were like, what are you trying to do? He's trying to launch a, a platform. And he sort of stuck at it. And eventually, he'd gone to Silicon Valley, He, as, as is the way. He'd met a bunch of people, come back and started this business that seven months later, he sold to Yahoo for 40 million bucks. And he just said, Stu, you need to kind of get out of yourself. You need to get involved in this tech startup thing. So one thing led to another. I ended up getting introduced to um, uh, a few really smart people who were studying an incubator particularly focused on helping corporate escapee wannabes get out of corporate using sort of Silicon Valley methodology. And I invested as, a, as an investor. I became a managing partner. And for me, it was actually more of an opportunity to learn. So I'm, 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 I'm in there. We've got these speakers, Peter Davidson, who's one of the seed investors of PayPal, uh, Susie Jacobs, uh, Brian Sher. We had Paul Dunn was in there and a bunch of other really smart people. And I'm learning about how you know, these, these tech companies have started and they've grown and how the methodology is different, you know, lean startup, agile and all the rest of it. And so what I started to do is I started to coach some of the businesses that I was working with. And what I found is that a lot of the, the, the concepts started to get really work and get traction. So that was about 2013, 2014. The incubator never quite made it, I'm afraid, but I walked away with a, a, a very valuable education. And the... What I was coaching kind of turned into a book. I, I rebranded my business as Audere, which it is today. The book turned well. The working book turned into a working group. The working group turned into a program, and this is kind of what I've been doing for the last what eight eight, eight years in particular. Um, really focusing on on where advice is going, how to kind of evolve or help advice businesses evolve. Technology is part of that but kind of crashing together what they've known for a while in tech startups about how, how to do things differently with traditional advisory models and, and, and trying to kind of craft that next phase of the evolution that we're, we're all have been painfully going through these last few days. So that's, pro that's me in a, in a nutshell.
Wow, and I can completely relate to the geeking out to the old uh, the old uh, two eight sixes by the old Commodore sixty four before before that, but which was probably means that I'm older than you. Um, and, no, I had uh, one of those. I had an. Do you know what? I had an Amiga five hundred, and I had. Do you remember the Walnut Atari play? Uh, yes, Dang, you remember those ones? Yes, Night Driver. Yes, you can play Pong you know on it. Yes, yeah, excellent. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and definitely uh, definitely um, similar with the, the journey through the tech startup world, and then understanding all those words of lean startups and uh, and agile and ways of working. So. Um, yeah, wow, incredible, incredible, uh, grounding there in history. And, and when you bring that into a small, small to medium business or an advice business or a professional firm, which traditionally has been built in a certain way, uh, you know, with a certain, you know, old school, you know, thinking, or this is the way it's always been done. So therefore, surely that's tried and tested. Uh, and then, uh, and looking at breaking those systems. So the perfect person to talk to about, uh, about, uh, you know, how do we, how do we look at developing these businesses into, you know, the way of the future and, and what's going to, what's coming down the, the track. Now, I wanted to talk to you about client experience and yep. specifically, uh, let's start with the importance of it. Let's start with the concept of why is it such an important, why is it such a big deal? Yeah, so I, the funny thing is client experience probably, it, I mean, it's been around for ages, but I think it first started coming on people's radar probably about 2018. That's when it became, maybe I'm, that was just my experience, but that's when it kind of be, started to become a topic that was presented at conferences. And um, I'd often get people say, okay, well, hold on, can you define it? And I, I, I've always looked on client experience. If, if, if I, When I work with businesses and there's kind of three areas that we work with on their service model, the first one's kind of you, what is your service model? And that to me is what's your proposition? In other words, what the value in working with you ongoing, what's in your packages, and also importantly, how do you deliver it? So that's the service piece. There's the pricing, which is making sure whatever you're designing is profitable because otherwise, you know, there's, there's two reasons businesses go out of business. It's one, you don't have enough customers or you run out of money. And the third one is kind of client experience. And I've always thought if service models what you're looking to deliver, then, then client experience is how it's kind of designed to make people feel. And that's the big difference. It's the difference between looking at, you know, okay, we're going to send this email or we're going to, you know, send this pack and actually stopping and going, well, hold on, how could we modify it or change it or personalize it or, or do something to it that, so it goes from being just a, uh, okay. To more of a whoa, that's a that's a that's a great experience. One, a great example of this. You've probably seen this, Fraser. Have you seen the Derek Sivers um, email, CD Baby? No, no. Oh man, it's it's fantastic. It's CD Baby was a, a startup that was um, it was started by a guy called Derek Sivers, uh, who's a regular on Tim Ferriss's show. But he he started this kind of Apple Store or I, I, iTunes Store for independent musicians. And he's a remarkable guy because he was, he was one of the guys that was at the table with Jobs telling him that uh, he couldn't do what he wanted to do, you know, back when they were trying to amalgamate it. But he basically took you – know, you, can, you can type in Derek Siver's email and he took, um, he took this email, which basically is an invoice. And he turned it into the story about how they took this – we took this CD you'd ordered and we wrapped it in a gilt gilt edge box and we put it on a you know velvet pillow and we all all of us got together and carried it down to the boat and he just took something so man- mundane and he turned it into and since then you know it's kind of driven a lot of things so i always look at it from the perspective of how it makes them feel but i guess the question you ask is why is it important and you might have your own take on this so i think the first thing is if you look at industries where they're constrained by price or the the proposition is fundamentally similar like broke mortgage broking for example you know the broking proposition is 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 come to us don't go to the banks we'll we'll look through a bunch of different lenders and we'll do the hard work for you so when you've got industries where the challenge is differentiating the offer based on price or then client experience is a really good way of doing it people always remember 
that side of things. The second one is, I think, when I'm doing work with advisors on reviews, we talk about trying to make something remarkable. And what that means is literally you make it so people are able to remark on it to other people. And we already know from the studies which that existing clients are, are usually big advocates of advice. The NPS scores are off the charts. But it's the issue is often with non-advised people. There's two things. If you can make the referral or the experience something that your clients talk to other people about because they've got something to talk about, it increases the likelihood that non-clients going to come and see you. But also, when people visit you for the first time and they have this amazing experience, you're going to dissipate a lot of those you know, feelings of nervousness and buyer's remorse. And the third one, which I know we spoke about beforehand for me, which often gets overlooked, is efficiency, which is a lot of client experience just like customer experience or user experience, is about getting your user or your client to work with you the way that you need them to. So to make sure they're communicating or they're utilizing you in the right way as opposed to you know what you often get in practices, which is different clients engaging by different communication methods and doing their own thing. So that's kind of why I think you know, it matters. Yeah, yeah. What's your take on it? So many, so many great things. Um, my take on it is, uh, and, you, and you kind of touched on this as well. You know, you mentioned the uh, the emotion of it and the and the feeling of something. And um, and you know, when you talk about service models, for example, often that's a pretty logical thing, right? There's logic. It's a bouncing ball. We do this and then we do that, and there's all these certain logical, practical methodology to it. Um, whereas the client experience is really around that emotion. It can be different for every client, but it can also be how do they feel? Are they feeling secure? Are they feeling safe? Are they feeling uh, happy? Are they like what's the emotional piece to it? And uh, sometimes that's um, difficult to put into a, uh, a service model. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it, and sometimes it's a it's a variable um, variable thing. But it's 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 that opposite of logic. It's that emotion, I guess. And um, you know, when I think about what client experience is, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, you're spot on. Like you can turn around and say, I'm going to produce a, a quarterly report for clients. But if the point is to make clients feel secure and safe and peace of mind, that it, that's the that's the deliverable, but that's the output, and you can you can sort of play with the information and how it's presented to sort of make that relevant. Yep, well, absolutely. Now let's um let's talk about this. Obviously, you do a lot of work with advisors. Um, what what are some of the the things that you're seeing in the practices that you work with that are, are really resonating with um both the advice teams, the staff, as well as the uh, the clients? So assuming you're kind of looking for for individual pieces and rather than the whole thing. Um, I kind of look at it from there's kind of three parts that you can pull out. The first one is kind of obvious wow factors where you're putting something in there and you're just kind of like, wow, you know, et cetera. The second one is um, kind of touch points which are focused really on building up consistency or building up certain behaviors. And the third one is kind of the unexpected stuff. And I think if I pick two of the wow factors kind of out, you know, when a client en- engages you and says, right, I'm coming on board, and we're talking about a new client here. You know, just sending out a personalized message that the only purpose of it is just to welcome. Thanks for, hey, you know, Fraser, I'm so glad you came on board. Really glad to be working with you. And over the next, you know, few years, we're going to make sure that we take you from whatever that personalized message. And we can talk a bit about mediums using video and, and, and audio, but that's, I mean, that's kind of like rolling out the red carpet for me. The other one is welcome kits. We've had a lot of success with our business and also with advice firms just sitting down and going, okay, if we're going to send a little package through to clients, and we put some thought into it. What would we put in it, you know? Um, and then make it a physical thing that you send out. That can that can have a big impact. 
Um, can I just can I unpack can I unpack that just before you move yeah, on? Sure. Um, I, I love the idea of um, personal video too. By the way, the, the old Bonjourno or something like that. There's a couple of different apps out there, or even just You're jumping right. on your uh, on your phone and, and recording a message and texting it through is also yeah. really interesting. Um, with the welcome kits, are you seeing that um, that's something that might be uh, a little bit personalized, quite personalized, um, generic to the business? What What are your thoughts on the welcome? There's kit? two sides to it. It's one if you over personalize something. You just make it hard to do. And if you make something hard to do, it's not going to get done. But you can make it mass personalized. So, for example, um, you know, having a selection of books and then you maybe got three or four books that you think are great. You got them on the shelf and you go, well, what, what book would this client like? And then you maybe put a note in there, you know, put a, put a covering welcome note, say, I've given you this book because I think you'd really enjoy it for this reason. Um, I mean, like I've got, had worked with a couple of advisors actually written their own books. And that's a great thing to put in a welcome kit because it kind of puts things home. Um, I am a big, big bit of a fan of kind of moleskin notebooks and I think giving people like a moleskin, which is something that, and I, the other thing is that I hate seeing people put their brand on something like that. Cause it's like, if you're going to give someone a present, I think give them something that is about them predominantly. If you, if you're going to do a brand, do just a logo and nothing more, but make, I think make it something that you personally would use as opposed to just, I don't know. And I don't want to sort of have a crack at, you know, people who give this stuff away, but if it's, if it's like a, you know, one of those stress balls with your logo on it that's probably less meaningful than sending someone a a good quality notebook or something along along those lines if that makes sense i have heard that before i went to a conference once and somebody said to me don't give me golf balls with your logo and i'll hit them in the water (laughs) but give me golf balls without a logo and i'll tell them my friends that they were given to me by their financial (laughs) advisor it was it was quite interesting i thought that uh, yeah you're right actually branding Branding gifts is um, is a little bit too much, but I, putting a I nice can't note. think of any time, and I don't play golf anymore because I've got the time. I can't think of any time I've looked at a golf ball and gone, "I wonder who those guys are." I'm going to look them up online later. It's just, it's, yep. it's. I think it's more about you know solving a problem. You know, it's Christmas. You need a bunch of gifts. It's easy, right? As opposed to, yep. going out yep. and selecting yep. a bunch of books. Fantastic. So we covered off a couple of well factors. We you mentioned touch points and consistency. I think this is a really yeah. good one too. So one of the templates that we have on the program, we've got a lot of tools and templates, as you imagine, is called the Let Us Know List, and it's 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 a it's an infographic that goes out goes out prior to review. But it, we suggest that businesses send it out like two or three times a year, and it's just like visually, these are sixteen reasons why you want to you might want to contact us. If you know, if you're going to uh, make a major capital purchase, if anything happens in your health and it's stuff like that, which is reminding, getting on the front foot without having to have a necessarily, you know, 120 conversations and reminding clients that you're there. And, and more importantly, saying these are the things that you need to let us know about beforehand. Another one that's really important, particularly in the first 90 days is as soon as that welcome message goes out, the next person to step in should be your team, you know, and that's about positioning that the fact that they are the concierge, they're the person you need to speak to. They're the person who's going to help them organize the, the meeting. They're the person who potentially is going to do the fact finding. They're going to, the person who's going to help them because that's going to create the sense that this is a team exercise and it starts to build that, that behavior that, you know, because if from day one, every communication starts coming through to you as the advisor, you know, you leave that for long enough, it's going to become embedded behavior. Um, Another one, which I literally just ran a, a training session on this uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is uh, we've got a process called the escalating follow-up, which is the idea that, you know, if you, if you assign a task, get us back this information and the client doesn't get that information back, just sending the same follow-up in email doesn't really work. You've got to escalate it. You've got to, you know, make them accountable and then offer to help. And then finally, you know, if it gets long enough, you've got to have the advisor step in and go, look, we're not hearing back from you, you're not on board, maybe we need to stop the advice. And, and that's kind of, that's classic, you know, client experience, which is recognizing that 
getting the advice done is 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 just as as important as the quality of advice. And as a result, if the client's not playing ball, you kind of got this responsibility to jump in and change the behaviour. Yeah, exactly. And consistency is a big part of building trust, which you've sort of done. A, I've done a you yeah. know, series on recently, which is around you know one of the many the pillars of building trust is that consistency and being able to demonstrate that from a from a feeling point of view. That's pretty important. So when you talk about consistency and building trust, like as in doing the same thing over time or doing what you say, how does it work? Yeah, it's just about filling the bank. It's about, you know, making small deposits in the bank. Often that uh, people say, no, they're they're there and they're going to be there for when I I need them. So it's about uh, rather than having voids, I think, and just going, great, we really, really love you. And then you don't hear from us for a long time. And then, oh, you know, and it it doesn't have to be much. It could be an automated text message or something like that, just letting you know what's you're still there, you're still doing it. It's it's funny the, the one of the, the touch points that I often talk about, and particularly in those big voids, is you know if the only time you're reaching out to a client is because you need something from them, it's kind of like Pavlov's dog, right? Except, oh god, what am I going to have to do next? Sometimes the best ones are just. I mean, we've got templates in the program which are just four really simple ones. One of them is like, "Hey, Fraser, it's been about you know three months since we chatted. I, I just wanted to check in. How's things going? Do you need anything from us?" And that stuff without any you know without any. Anything other than just the desire to connect and, and, and offer your services, sometimes those are the ones where the response comes back from clients and it's just they open up or they, yeah, those are the ones that, that, that weirdly make, often make the biggest difference and results in the kind of biggest interactions. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And uh, now you mentioned unexpected, you know, the unexpected as in the niceties. What, what sort of things are you thinking that might be like an out of the blue unexpected behavior? Um, I don't like birthday cards. I think it's weird when I get a birthday card from from my advisor. But I think it's also because birthday cards are times when you tend to get tend to get birthday cards from people who are close to you, right? And whilst I, I appreciate the thought, it, it it always seems out of place. And maybe this is just me. Whereas if if there's a a, a particular date, maybe the date you started your business, or uh, you know the dates. I mean, I, I I remember when one of my clients. This is back in the day. He had a uh, his first child. I went out and bought um, ACDC lullabies and gave it to him. And, and that was kind of, I felt, was a little bit different and uh, sort of a bit more memorable. I'm a really big fan of books. I think books are just, I mean, I'm, I love books anyway, but giving someone a book is, to me, is more than just, um, you know, is a gift. It's actually, particularly if it's a good book and it's a relevant book and it's a book that you've read and you and you think it's going to make a difference, I think that's a big one. And if you want to break it, bring it down, just sharing like an article of interest. I um, I use a tool called Pocket, which is kind of like a digital scrapbook. And whenever I'm reading an, uh, uh, an you know article online, I like it. I'll just reach up into the the bar and I'll and I'll bookmark it. And then you know if uh, if something if it's a, a really good article, I'll, I'll pick sort of a bunch of clients or you know a group of clients, or maybe one client, and I'll go. I saw this article. I think it's relevant because of this, this, and this, and I wanted to share it with you. That can that can work really, really well because you know that's kind of the opposite of newsletters, right? It's 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 personalizing things a little bit more. Yeah, I saw this article and I thought of you, and then the thought yeah. that counts. Yeah, as long as it's as long as it's not an article about I don't know the worst dressed man in the world or something like that, then then you're in. <laughs> you could send that one to me. <laughs> um, uh, somebody who can't coordinate the colours. Um, the uh, now you mentioned you hate birthday cards. I used to send out uh, just you know throw myself under the bus here. Um, and anniversary cards. We had some anniversary cards made up. Happy happy policy anniversary. And of course, it was about their you know when their their, their insurance policy was due. Um, and but it would be like a friend policy anniversary and in the, in the in the inside they open it up thinking who's sending me in, who's in, you know, they would open it in a card it was a beautiful 
you know, green or yellow or orange envelope, you know, it was all, all look like with a proper stamp and handwritten on the front. And I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to take aim at like birth. I'm definitely, if you, if you're sending out the birthday thing, it's going to be better than not doing anything, but the opportunity is to go, okay, maybe I can make this something even better, but yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And um, look, let's uh, let's let's expand this conversation out to other other markets. Obviously, with advice, we we sort of get our heads down and buried into the advice practices and professional firms. Um, but what are what do you think are amazing client experiences? And you sort of, you know, you mentioned um, already around the um, was it City Baby the the. Yeah, city baby. Right yeah, yeah. You mentioned that already, but uh, let, let's um, let's open this up to other things. What do you think uh, are businesses that do client experience really well, and that uh, maybe advice can learn from? So I'll pull out um, one example that is really close to my heart because, um, and it's also pretty pretty relevant. And I'll dive into some other ones. But um, in 2019, I in February, I ran my last two day program workshop prior to, to COVID and we haven't quite picked it up yet for a whole bunch of reasons. And we ran it at Bridge Climb. And have you ever done have you ever done Bridge Climb in Sydney? Yes, I have many years okay. ago. Yeah. Okay. Tell me tell me just off the cuff, what 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 are your were your impressions of doing Bridge Climb compared to what you thought it was going to be beforehand? Yeah, I think uh, I was. I'm, I'm stretching my memory. I remember rocking up there, and they did the, uh, you know, have you been drinking the night before? Are you able to? And <laughs> that, that was a bit of a freak out moment for me because I had. Uh, and then, um, and then the impressions were were pretty good. Like, I mean, the, the process, the fact that they had all the safety and the harnesses. You walked out mm. the platform that underneath the bridge, and you freaked out because you could see underneath you. Um, but then I think once you got into it, it was it was it was really good, and it took a you know. It was good. I enjoyed it. I've also done the, the climb above um, the uh, stadium in Adelaide, so that's the other one. How was that? Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Yeah. I haven't done the center point one. I'm too scared with the, yeah, with the no, glass. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't uh, walked out there. So I did a two-day workshop, and the whole point was we were doing the whole workshop on client experience, and we also d- we, we sort of did the morning. It was a great venue, and we did the morning, and then we did the bridge climb. We came back and we unpacked it, and – for anybody who's not done it, I mean, one of the things we spoke about is the difference between a value proposition and, and an experience. And I, I, the story goes is um, I'd actually booked the, the 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 walk months in advance, right? And they turned around and said, which walk do you want? And there's a few different options. And one of them was a bit shorter than the others. It's the express walk. And I was like, okay, well, let's do the express walk. And for some reason on the morning, I got it in my, in my head that the express walk meant we went up the inside arch. In other words, we were going to do this bridge climb. And we weren't going to go to the top and get the photo. Thankfully, that wasn't the case. But it kind of brought home to me the fact that the reason people do the bridge climb is to get to the top of the bridge. And the reason people seek advice is because to get to whatever their goal is, whether it's a retirement goal, whether it's a light, you know, specific event, all of that sort of stuff. And that's the most important thing that attracts people in, the ability to get there. But the thing that makes bridge climb memorable is the experience you go through. It's the, you know, going through the briefing and it's it's the it's like a human um, assembly line. And then there's the, 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 the guys or the girls who, who take you up the bridge and they tell these stories and they have this fa- – if you watch it really carefully, they, they have this fabulous way of never joking about the height and distracting your attention at just the right moment. And generally, they, they're just absolute professionals. And so you, you, you kind of – we unpacked it and we looked at it and we realized that it's the experience. It's the, the, the what goes on on the way that turns it from uh, just a bunch of people wandering up a, you know, a big bridge to something that you go bang. It was amazing and we're talking about it. And um, what was interesting to me about that, if you unpack the, the bridge climb story, I think it's Paul Cave who first came up with it. He, 
he was doing, I think it was uh, uh, some CEO um, organization. He and he, he he was he was going up the bridge. They didn't do that at all. And he said this would be a great business. And he he went with the proposition to the four uh, groups who who managed the bridge, and they all came back with like 105 reasons why he couldn't do it. And he he answered all of them, and some of them like the the, the harness that attached to the bridge is just it's amazing. It's you sit there and go, how does that work? But it, it, it was really relevant to me because you've got a business that has taken millions of people up the bridge. It turns over billions, operating in a totally experiential space, in one of the most legislatively um, compliance-driven environments ever. And when you go through that experience and you kind of unpack it, it makes you realize, well, if, if they can do it with a bridge, doing it with advice, that's and even with the compliance, you know, we can do it. It can be done. So that's probably if you if you. And if you haven't done it and you want an, like a, a, an accessible version of what I think is just such a great experience-driven business, that's one to, to, to go and check out. I've been up there three times and I'll, I'll go again. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope you, I hope you're getting paid on, uh, on a commission for um, sending people there because no, there all, all these people that are like, oh, I'm going to need to go do it now. Um, Although I had, I had three tickets left over and to be fair, they've extended the, the voucher validity for like three years ever since COVID. So I've got to tip my hat at them. Fantastic! Yeah, great, oh, excellent. So, so that's that's one of the things. Is, is there any others yeah. you think of, um, especially when the in in the tech space you do a lot of work in tech? Is there any you know like you mentioned Apple earlier are really good at this? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably there's there's a bunch of examples I put together, and one of them I, I put them into three categories. There's examples which are really good at altering client behavior. There's examples which are about increased client engagement and, and retention. And then there's examples of, which are about making your proposition easier to engage with and ultimately stay with. If you're looking at altering client behavior, I've actually got I, – I, I have a side business which is um, running uh, some rental vans through a platform called Car Next Door. And what's really interesting about that as a, as a, as a business is because the goal of the client experience is, is very different from an advice business. Like it is literally to divert the inquiries to either the call center or to deal with them up front. So whereas an advice business, your goal is to create contact. The van business is literally a situation where if somebody's texting you and waiting for you to respond, the whole thing breaks down. So that's that. I mean, Carnextor is a great business anyway, given given what's going on. Um, I'm a big user of apps on my phone. Fitbod is a fitness app which is completely, you know, removed the need for me to a have a gym membership. But B, it's actually something that because it's gamified and it tracks and it, it it plans out my workouts for me. Do you use any sleeping apps to track your sleep? I don't. No, okay. no. I, I used to. I used to have a the Fitbit, and it did. And I was fascinated with the deep sleep and the deep REMs and all those sort of things. Um, but I don't anymore. No. Again, I mean, like I use Sleepwatch, and it, it, again, it automates the whole thing, and it, it makes me want to go to bed earlier. It makes me go you know, really identify ways that I can get those eight hours sleep. Um, another example, and I know this, people are going to feel this weird. Service New South Wales, which is the 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 body which you use for registering cars, like the stuff you can do on their website now, not to mention the app. I mean, I every time I come to register one of the vans, which I've got to do 13 times a year, it takes me an, a minute and a half. Literally, the pink slip's there. It's, it's so quick and, and it's so easy to do. Even you can look at Amazon or, or you know, those, those early adopting businesses where the, the game changer was there was really free returns. Once they introduced free returns, they made it almost more convenient to um, to shop online because the risk was gone. So those those are examples of businesses that went, okay, what are the things that are stopping clients from from doing something? And they, or you know, what are the things that we need to put in place that are going to make people act in a certain way instead of another way? And and they they they've, they've solved that really effectively. 
Yeah, so this is a this is the part of a client experience that we don't often talk about, right? Which is this removing obstacles. Yeah. And and with advice, there's uh, you know, going to see an advisor, there's probably a lot of emotional obstacles that sit in the way of taking that giant leap of faith. You know, I, I know I should, I know I should, I know I should, but I've got to pick up the phone and I've got to make an appointment and I've got to, it might not be the right person. What if I don't like them? How do I tell them nicely? I don't want to be there. You know, like there's all these things that go through a client's head to take that giant leap of faith. Yeah. It's like fact finding. Like from a, from an experiential point of view, one of the things that will guarantee drive a user off a, off a, a sign up to an app is when they go, they might get your email address. They might get your name. The moment they ask for a phone number, any of that sort of stuff, you're out of there. And you compare it to, you know, we're, we've got these clients who are coming in potentially a bit nervous. And if the first thing they're getting is like, give a shit, particularly right now with what's going on in cyber, you know, give us all of this sort of stuff. How's that going to impact them? What's the experience there? Possibly in many cases, not great. Um, yeah. The same yeah. would be true for, you know, if you're even at the end of the first appointment, are you asking clients to sign up for advice or are you asking them to sign up for ongoing advice? One is a double decision and the other one is a, yeah, it's a, again, it's, you look at it and go, okay, what, sometimes the, the most direct route to solving a problem is not the best route to actually get the out, outcome. Yeah, and you mentioned retention and obviously advice, having an ongoing advice relationship. There's two parts of it, right? Going to get initial advice and then having an ongoing advice relationship. And that retention side of it is really important. And, and obviously you mentioned a few gamification examples there. Um, how, how can uh, we think about gamification in the, in the world of advice? Really, really good question. Because um, gamification, yeah, do you know what? People have been trying for a while. And I think the thing that works with gamification is it's got to be it's got to be measured, right? You've got to have a metric. So I know you've done a lot of work on this, but um, and I know there's a, a software, a good software out for doing this. But ultimately, if 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 you can't track, if you can't attribute certain activities or actions to certain rewards and progress, then it's really really hard to do. And I think a lot of businesses in the past have struggled with this because they'd see this as being a data a data issue. If I can just get all this data and put it in front of the client, it's often not a data issue and it's not a complexity thing. It's about making it really, really, really simple. And that's, I think, if there's anything that maybe holds firms back sometimes when it comes to experience, it's overcomplicating it or wanting to integrate too much of the data into it rather than less, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love I love the concept. And, and you're right, there's, there's some, some great, you know, progress and thinking about those those the variable the rewards variable or otherwise that the dopamine hits in the brain and all those sort of things around hitting milestones and getting to targets and and whether it's you know meeting steps on a map or whatever it might be to try and get to the the end you've started and now you uh, now you want to make sure you get to every every take every rung of the ladder if you want it's like someone um said to me a while ago they said Stu, what do you think the most successful gamified business in australia is Take a guess. Oh, yeah, I don't know. What is it? Qantas Frequent Flight. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's successful. It ended up becoming more, I think it's even nowadays more valuable than the original company, which was part of the problem. So, and you look at it, it's pure gamification. The, the goal is to get you to use Qantas and the multiple levels, multiple rewards. It's, 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 yeah, it's, and it's, it's relatively simple. It's interesting that concept of status, isn't it? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, they, they do use, there's, there's points. But then there's also status, and status yeah. can can be a, a real driver. Uh, what I'm a I'm a platinum or a gold or a silver or whatever the, the from any of the airlines, and it's this concept of you know I I'm, I've, I've built myself up to a status that I've always wondered how that can work well in advice practices. 
Oh, you know what? I kind of look at it and I go, what is, what is the status thing about? It's, for me, it's lounge access. <laughs> it's just being able to, to rock up there on a Friday and or have breakfast rather than sit out there in the, in, in the, you know, in the, in the terminal. That's, that's the be all and end all of, although I'm sure there's other benefits to it, but yeah. Yeah. Again, it depends what the individual ties it to, right? Yep. That's right. Um, and, uh, and what goes on inside their head. Yeah. To tell us a little bit about, uh, like, if you and I were starting up a practice, um, yeah. what, what would be some of the things that we would definitely have to have in there from a user experience point of view? And what, like, what, let's start with some of the bigger blocks, obviously. And then, yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll put this past you and you tell me what you're taking. For me, it has to start with niching. Uh, it has to start with sitting down and going, before we can build an experience, before we can, you know, even do any of that sort of stuff, we've got to work out, okay, are we going to focus on a specific market? you know, demographic market, or are we going to focus on working with people who've got a specific mindset or are we going to, fo- you know, we're going to work with a bunch of people. We're going to put a message out there and it's going to attract people. And I think if you can't start by getting clear on, on, on that aspect, you know, and I think asking the question, why do people work with me? How does my business deliver those things? And what's the process behind it? I think it's much harder to do that if you're kind of building something which doesn't have that focus and doesn't have that that clear value piece like you can't really build an experience to deliver an an outcome or 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 underpin an outcome or reinforce an outcome if you don't really understand how that's going to be perceived by the by 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 who you're dealing with yep yeah i agree you know um, trying to create a, a user experience for all things for all people um it's like boiling the ocean i guess yeah, I mean, what what comes down to you know, if if what I what I appreciate, like Virgin, for example, a lot of people love Virgin. They love to get on and love the the casual thing. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like get on and I'm, I'm I don't see it myself. But for some people, it really works. And again, maybe that's a maybe that's a me thing versus other people. But yeah, it's that's definitely experiential, right? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 being different and being you know, if, if this is not for you, then then there's probably a hundred other uh, advice practices that are for you because. You know, you would suit them, and and, and that's Absolutely. great. That we're not uh, so 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 sorting out your target market. Really good point. Yep. Probably that's one of one. the first things if we were starting from fresh. Um, then then what would we do? What would what what are some of the other big blocks that you'd put in there? So when then when I work with businesses, there's a bit of practice analysis piece um, we can do, and we actually we actually made it available publicly so people can go on there and, and check it out and just do run through it. But one of the models in there talks about the growth cycles that businesses go through. So to get you know the the end result, you've got like a franchise in disguise, but there's six stages you go through. The first one is kind of you just, when you start your business or you restart your business, you just need to get to a revenue target. You know, at once until you've got enough revenue that you go, okay, now we can pay the bills, then you're always going to be in, in, in that mode of kind of, we just got to bring on board people. But once you get past that revenue hurdle, and this is the second piece, for me, it's it, the next thing you've got to do is get your pricing right. And the reason being is if you're going to build, uh, if you're going to build a client experience, you're going to have to invest time, uh, you may have to invest in systems. Uh, there's a bunch of work you need to do that you, you won't need to do as much later on. In other words, at that stage, your your business is going to be more resource hungry than it, than it probably ever will be, proportionally speaking. So if you don't get your, your pricing right, you don't have the ability to kind of sit down and do the work. And I think there's a lot of growing businesses out there that just suffocate themselves really early because they don't realize that ultimately in growth phase, you may have to probably charge more than you may be maybe you can transition to later on because you've got that scale. So that's the second thing for me. It's get pricing right from day one. 
Yeah, this is a really interesting part too, because the, providing a good client experience means that you're going to need funding for it, right? You need the budget. You need to be able to spend some money on, you know, putting all these things into place and making sure that they remain and they're consistent. So, yeah, yep. good point. The third thing I would do, and um, sometimes businesses, when they get to that point where they're recruiting somebody, they'll go and recruit an admin assistant. Rarely do they recruit a power planner, but they go, I need a power planning admin to do application forms and all this sort of stuff. I personally think one of your first hires as a growing business should be to hire, a, I hate calling them V8s because they they're not virtual, they're real people, they're just remote. But like VA role, that EA, that business manager role who you can go, okay, I'm going to hand over things like the email management, the calendar, and equally important, I'm going to hand over management of the system behind it all so that you're not the one sitting in your workflow management system kind of ticking things off and sending the emails. You've got somebody who's going to help you and kind of manage that side of things. I think that's even more important than someone who's going to fill in the application forms or do some of the follow-up stuff, which tends to be, it's not technical work, but it tends to be there's a level of insight into the financial planning process, which most advisors, they have the capability of doing. They might not want to at that point in time, but it's the other stuff, the 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 keeping the machine going. That that to me is probably the, the next thing. I don't know what your what your thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, no, no I, I agree, and I think we're starting up, you know, from scratch. That's definitely a a role that you know. I think I've heard it a million times. The 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 thirty dollar an hour job versus the three hundred dollar yeah. an hour job. Um, uh, although I don't necessarily love that analogy, but uh, it's it's certainly one of those things that you know take take that load off. Because um, when you do start up a business, you're doing everything and that's yeah. not the way you can, can continue. And there's a lot of people out there who've had experience in managing that sort of stuff. But if you're bringing on board someone who doesn't have experience and you have to be the one to train them and then you don't have the systems, you don't have all that stuff in place and you're also managing everything else while you're training them, it makes it really, really hard. Whereas if you yep. if you, if you can hand over some of that stuff first, yeah. And you, and and that, and obviously, when you're trying to you know have too many balls in the air, you tend to drop them from time to time. So yeah, that that client yeah, experience suffers then. So that's the first three. What what are, what are the next couple? I think the probably the next one. I mean, I'm a bit of a systems dude. I, I'll sit down and I'm, I, I like to sort of pull apart things in my head, and and that's my natural modus operandi. But I think if I, when I started my business, I definitely focused on building systems way too much, and I've seen it before, particularly with people who are that way inclined. They'll They'll launch their business and they'll spend a lot of time building systems in the back end and, and getting that sort of stuff right when really that's kind of – that's overkill. At the beginning, I think you just need to build some – get a basic workflow system, build out your most basic to, uh, you know, your processes or your threads or what do you want to call them and just focus on, on – you know, keeping it really, really simple. Classic example, I've got businesses on the program who have, who have gone and they've taken, you know, this delivery of um, communications that, you know, across the first 90 days in the first year, follow up and all, and they've totally automated it. And then there's a podcast where I interviewed a, a Debbie French where she talked about the work she'd done in X-Plan and, and really enabled it. But to be honest, I, I, for, for every business that, that, that does that, and to be honest, businesses do that, they have someone in the business that, that is their job or that is a big part of their job is just to maintain. But if you, if you don't have that full-time role, I think you're probably better off semi-automating it and recognizing that the system's there to kind of do the, do the remembering to, 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 to you know, send the email and do this. But the actual delivery of it at that stage, you can, you can do it sort of semi-manually, personalize it. And I think... Yeah, keep it really, really simple. Have a simple workflow management, but don't go nuts on the systems because 
like for two reasons. Chances are, whatever you build in the back office of your client experience, you're going to have to fix it. You're going to have to change it. It's not going to be right. It's going to be, need to be tweaked. And secondly, as soon as you bring on the next you know, one to two people, every process you have in your business is going to break anyway. Because generally, you know, what works when you've got two, it just doesn't when there's four. And, and, and that continues all the way through. So that's yep. probably... Good, good tip. Keep it simple. Niche, yep. get the pricing right, hire someone in the back end. Focus, don't f- focus on the systems too much and really keep it simple yep. to begin with. Yeah, fantastic. Excellent. Um, now, for practices that, uh, as you mentioned, that's, that's great for, for a new business, but um, sometimes um, we're looking at, you know, expanding or growing or, or coming off a base of, you know, having, yep. having that stuff in place in the first place. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, where clients can start? What can they can work on? I know you talk a lot about portals and those sorts of things. What are the, some of the things that can, um, can existing businesses start to implement that? That's great for clients. So portals are an interesting one um, because um, there's a lot of great portals out there and, and they do really great things. But the thing about a portal, and there's a great book on this by Nur Eyal called Hooked, which you may have read. But portal getting people to use a portal is not about functionality. It's about adoption and it's about behavior and it's about making – some, something that they're going to use, you know, every week or every day. And if you don't have the ability to, to get people using it, it's going to become a bit of a white elephant. Uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of businesses out there who invest in these because it makes sense. It's going to change their business, but they never actually crack the, how do we get people using it? How do we use it? And that's kind of the second part of it. If you're launching a portal, it's not just about the clients using it. You as a business have to make it central to your your business too. Like you have to communicate through it. You have to – information's got to come. In other words, it's got to kind of – if you imagine there's two arrowheads. One is clients engaging with it. One is you engaging with it and the portal's in the middle. And if, if, if they're not using it and you're not using it, it's, it's just not going to work. So portals can be fantastic and I think they will become increasingly important over the years for a whole bunch of really good reasons, including very topical ones that are flying around right now to, you know, what the advice document may become, which is probably going to be more of a, you know, a live dynamic um, dashboard, I think, in time. But yeah, don't, I, I don't, don't go down it thinking, I think you're going to buy this tool and launch it and, you know, field a dream style, they're going to come because that's generally not the way it works. It's a really interesting um, thing that you mentioned there regarding the book Hooked and it, it, talks, it talks a lot about, you know, adults' behaviors and how adults yeah. need to, the adult learning and the adult, what, tr- you know, the trigger and the variable reward, all those sort of things that come in, into that um, and teaching adults, you know, I, I love the saying old dog, new tricks, right? It's the, it's the conversation of saying, how do we teach? We, we've already taught the clients this is the way we do it. We'd, we taught them that it's they they're used to that now they've they've had the they've had the um that you know reliability behavior that we've presented we've always done this way and now we need to teach them a new way or do something yeah. different and so unless we've got a good reason why um you know and a trigger and obviously you know you know with Optus and cybersecurity there's probably a reason now why people want to be more safe or, or what it might be and so you've there is finding that opportunity to then present that and go how do we now move these existing behaviors. Um, and, and it's not just clients, it's staff as well because of it, you know, yeah. everybody's so used to doing it that way. And then that change of behavior is a really interesting piece that, uh, and, and I think that uh, book. I was at a golf charity day ages ago and I was with a group of um, four advisors and one of them asked a really good question. He's like, can I ask a quick question? I have this problem. Clients keep phoning my mobile on weekends. How do I, how do I solve the problem? And it, the answer is really simple. It's number one, stop giving clients your mobile number and number two for clients that have your mobile number stop answering your mobile on weekends 
I mean, if if you reinforce the behavior, people will will continue to do it. And so the classic thing is if someone phones you and leaves a message and you email them back, if that's your pro- or even you send a Voxer message or, or an audio message, then then you're resetting it. But if you continue to operate that way, then you're kind of the cause of the experience breakdown just as much as they are. Yep. And I think and I think there's also probably a, a, a little bit of process around the concept of, right, next time that happens, we're going to do this. And then we might mention it this way and then have a little yeah. bit of little bit of resources in the in the background to go, Yep, this is the that's this is the way we do it now and, and the reason we do it Agreed. is that or whatever it might be. Client portals, I think you're right, are, are a big thing that's um, people are moving towards, moving away from sending stuff on email and, and keeping stuff in, in a portal. Yeah. Um and, and to that degree also a bit of an app or a bit of a a place where clients can go or an ease an ease for clients to be able to get there as well. Yeah. I mean there's a lot there's some of the device tools out there are starting to incorporate that. And I think I think personally I think we're going to see more and more of it because from an efficiency point of view, from an experience point of view, from a security point of view, from an evolution of where it should be, from a retention, it just makes so much sense. Yep. Um now also you do a lot of work in the in the space of videos. You've done lots of yeah. lots of videos. You encourage a lot of your clients to do videos and 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 obviously podcasts as well. Uh tell us a little bit why uh, how you think that adds to the client experience. So like if if for example if I was going to start with client experience, um I usually always start with the first 90 days. So it's like okay, what are you going to do over the course of that first 90 days after you know, they've said yes at the appointment? And what are you going to do to sort of let them know what they need to know at a certain point in time and inform them about that? Get them involved in the process to realize it's not, it's not a passive thing, but also kind of do a bit of this excite and delight stuff. And I, 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 I've always found like I'm a terrible typist at the best of times anyway, which is why I use a lot of dictation. But I've noticed that when I sit down and write an email, what comes out tends to be a lot more formal a lot less, I mean, I've, I've got better at it through the years, but most people, when they write an email, are like, dear sir, madam, I'm writing to you in, in relation, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. Whereas, like, when you dictate emails, you get a different thing. You get, I mean, there's, there's a lot of fluff you have to cut out, but you get something that sounds like you. But often, I've sat down and gone, well, what would be the better experience if I sent this client an email or if I sent them the same message, but it's in an audio message that they can click on or alternatively, you know, just just talk to the camera, and every single business that has implemented it has has kind of been, oh, I wonder how clients are going to re- like receive this. But every single time they do, it changes the nature of it because it, it can be highly personal. It's you, it's your words, it's your voice, it's 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 your personality, but it's quicker. Like I can pick up Voxer on my phone, and I can sort of, Jen, can you please shoot that through to Fraser, and I'll go. Hey, Fraser, it's Stu here, mate. I'm just sat in the office. Uh, I'm about to crack open a beer on a Friday. I thought of you because I'm – and or I'm out I'm out with the kids. Uh, I'm just watching so-and-so. And even though, you know, you're getting the message, but sometimes it's that personal aspect that kind of gives people a bit of insight into – yeah, you, not everybody wants to do it, but I think sometimes it, it kind of opens the relationship a bit more and it can be very, very natural. So, you know, I, I really think that if you've got the option of send – if it's a personal email and it, particularly if it's a long email, right, if you're sitting down there and you go, this is way better if I, if I send it, then open your Voxer or open whatever audio app you use um, or even better, you know, if you're comfortable, whack on the old video, whack on your Loom or your Bonjourno or whatever it is, just stick your video, get your video out there and, and send it. 
I love it. Uh, I love it for so many reasons. And obviously this is a, um, a, a podcast and you can't see Stuart, but I can. And when he picked up, he actually picked up his phone and demonstrated that uh, he was I using Voxer. <laughs> so for those that uh, are playing along at home, didn't see that, I just wanted to add that part in. Um, but, but, but definitely, but definitely for me, it's around that. You mentioned the word natural, you know, the naturally human being, um, nonverbal cues and authenticity of, of, of who, who you are as a, as a human being. Um, and you're right. Some, every time we write things, they tend to come out so formal because we're trained um for that way i also have um i say here so here sometimes that people are worried then that oh well, what about compliance what about the paper trail what about that this and the other and the answer to me, that is just you know <laughs> save the file to your file because because if you ever get uh checked over from a compliance file review they look at all the different mediums inside the uh, inside a file so look i mean for example with loom uh actually the tool we use searchy which is more of a membership platform every i, I can record uh, videos using the extension they'll automatically upload to the platform produces a link but it automatically transcribes every video and there's so many tools out there that do that so i mean if you really feel the need to you know <laughs> record everything and, and compliance is going oh we're going to have transcriptions because sometimes they do then you can go down that route but nine times out of ten that's not where that's not where compliance are coming from they're not trying to I, I, unless you've unless i'm wrong on this which i don't think i am they're not trying to um you know discourage any contact with the client they're just trying to make sure you have a record of any significant event that may you know may be relevant they create like as as i think red das said to me when we were talking about this is file notes or, or your records are really about creating a story of the, the client's experience with you and i don't i don't think you know checking in via voxer is necessarily you know that remit Yes, and for those who have met Rhett, he's a compliance auditor, and uh, and and we're more than happy to talk to you about compliance. Um, and you just mentioned having a record, and, and again, a recording to me is a record, whether it's written or yeah. whether it's a, it's it's a video. And I think um, you know, we're talk it. Videos are certainly one of those things that we can all get better and better. And there's lots of different ways that you can get better at videos, but I don't think uh, you, you're never going to start. And this is the other thing: you're never going to start videos with a truly professional performance no um you are going to start with you being realistically you and uh which i think is actually a good thing <laughs> there's a youtube clip my first ever video i did i think i was down at a uh, i was an offsite in rose valley and i'm literally everything wrong i'm wearing you know a white t-shirt it's a bright day the sun's in my eye it's just awful but you know you, you get started and eventually you learn about all the things you weren't doing right but nine times out of ten you know, people don't really care Yep. First, first video, you've got to have a first client meeting too at some point and they're, they're not always going to go to plan. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Fantastic. And, um, well, thank you for that. So, so look, uh, we're probably going to have to, um, uh, stop talking about this at some point, but if people want to do continue this conversation with you, t- uh, tell us about how, how you work with advice firms and, and what you do in that space. Okay. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, so I tend to work with advice firms in, in kind of two ways. I have a, a full coaching program where I work with businesses and their teams directly, and it's called the Leverage Advice Firm Program. Um, and you can find out about that just by visiting our website, which is audere.com.au. I'll spell that A-U-D-E-R-E. I also run a version of the program which um, is basically has all of the elements of the, of the full program, but it's kind of less uh, with the intensive coaching. So it's for firms who... Generally, they see themselves as being more self-directed, non-Australian based, um, or they feel they don't need the, the the coaching element. And again, that's called Leverage Online. And you can jump on there, check out those. If you're interested, shoot me an email. Generally, I'll, I'll sit down with you and cre- spend about an hour to create a, a high-level plan. And at the end of that, if we look at it and go, okay, there's ROI on that, that's when we, we talk about working together. Um, I'm also... 
one thing I'm, I've, I've literally just started talking about, I'm looking to launch a three-month program next year. So we'll kick it off in about March. We'll start marketing in November, but it's focused purely on sort of taking four or five strategies out of the program and working with a, a very small group of advisors over the course of three months to generate kind of ROI. It's a pretty early stage at the moment, but if you want to know more about that, because it's, um, yeah, it's kind of a short form thing, you can just drop me an email at Stuart. S-T-E-W-A-R-T at aldere.com.au and I'll sort of keep you in, informed. And obviously, if you if you want to go over to the website and, and subscribe to our list, we send out a communication about every, I think every fortnight where we share a blog or, or sort of other, what we hope is high value content. So that's probably the best way. Yeah, fantastic. Got to love the old helpful hints and, and valuable content. Um, <laughs> I love. I also love the idea that uh, you've got, you, you're designing a 90 day sprint for financial advisors. Uh, if we go back to the original conversation, we started talking about that lean, lean startup methodology, just, uh, you know, 90 day sprint um, for those that uh, the, the methodology of 90 day sprint is it takes 90 days. Then there's, there's the finish line. You've got what you've got yeah. after 90 days. It, it's a, uh, it's not about however long it takes to get to the, the finish line. It's uh, it's about sprinting as for as, for as long as you like, can. Yeah. It's like twelve month plans. Twelve months are way too long. Yeah. Like so, you can break it down, and it, it tends to produce better results, as you well know. Fantastic, Stuart. Thank you so much for coming on uh, and chatting with us today as part of the series. Uh, really looking forward to um, uh, you know get, getting this out into the the advisors' hands and, and for them to be able to um, reach out to you should they want to continue this conversation. Really appreciate. I really it. appreciate it. It's been yeah, been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you.